You're listening to Green Possible, where being free makes being green possible. I'm your host I, and the show starts in. Hi, Will. Good morning, I. Thanks for having me on. How are we doing? Um, pretty good, I guess. <laughs> Been crazy last week, but um, so we talked about. Uh, starting family early, and I mentioned how immature I was, and that is, you know, I still cannot imagine how I could have been mature enough to have a family. Uh, be you know, I still don't think I am. <laughs> well, if we if we wait until we're mature enough in, to start a family, we'll all be like sixty years old. So. We can't wait that long. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, but you have to, how do I say that? The this funny thing is after we talked about that last week, I, I heard someone commenting how, you know, 20 years old now, 20 year old now is not the same as 20 year old back you know, probably 20 years, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. And if, if we say, okay, we need to start a family when you're younger, that that's not a complete statement because we actually need to change our whole culture to support that, whereas right now it doesn't. So uh, just giving the advice, hey, go start uh, a family when you're 20, if that's all you do, it's probably you're going to have mixed results because the, the culture around you doesn't support that. If if you don't have, uh, if you're not part of a community and you don't have extended family, that's all going to be supportive of that. Then it, it would be hard for, uh, let's say, a couple from like 18 to 22, somewhere like somewhere in that range, and they start a family all on their own. It's going to be hard. It could, it's doable, but it's it's going to be hard without help from family and and community. Well, my my question there was was how, um, why do you see how the maturity or actually just how they're different the the kids now and the kids before? Yes, for sure. Um, now, it, it, kids are raised by daycare and school, whereas before they were raised by their family, their mom, their mom and their dad. And so the maturity level is going to is going to reflect that. And I don't think daycare and public school systems make kids mature. So they're not ready. <laughs> oh, so you were saying that... Um... Well, I it's not like parents don't participate nowadays. It's it's you know, they they you know, I I see the the parents uh there's a bunch of schools around me. And so I see parents coming to pick them up and all that. It's not like they're not taking care of them, but something is missing. Well, in you know, we have this idea of a nuclear family and you were you know, before we started recording, you mentioned how the family structure works in Asia, where you have extended family always around. And I was kind of thinking that in American culture, we may have had a change in our history that gave us this idea that there's a mom and a dad and kids and not really anybody else. If you think about the the way the West was settled, they handed out land settlements to people. If, if, if you could just travel to a a piece of land and claim it as yours and and then farm it you could have it and so a lot of people did that and and so they showed up in the middle of nowhere with a a, a husband and a wife and kids and nobody else and so that's not at all ideal for raising children it's probably better than what we have today but it's still we need a community we need we need aunts uncles cousins grandpas and, gra- and grandmas and and the whole extended family to raise children and raise a family so that the kids are constantly being uh, raised by either their mom or their dad, or maybe grandma and grandpa or aunts and uncles. And so you can share the load. So let's say it's time to learn how to uh, 
you know, cook Thanksgiving dinner, well, you, you only need one or two adults and a gaggle of kids to go learn how to do that, or it's time to plant a field. You know, Uncle Bob can show all the kids how to plant a field and, and the other adults can maybe do something else. So w when we have parents showing up to pick up their kids at school, that represents six hours of, of school time where there was no parents in their life at all. No, the, the other thing that I, I was thinking is that when you have, hmm, and this is related to the maturity of children, uh, when you have grandpa, grandma, or even great-grandparents, they would, when they take care of the, the kids, they would also be modeling maturity. Yes, Yes, and, and so there's there's things being passed on that are not verbal. There's actions and reactions. There's, you know, when an accident happens and an adult deals with it and the child is just present for that, then the child learns a lot. When, you know, when urgent things require urgent action and the child witnesses that, it, it prepares them for their adulthood. And sitting in the classroom, that almost never happens. Oh, so, so, uh, like we were talking about, it makes more sense to maybe, maybe even just teach the basic stuff in the classroom and, and leave the, um, I don't know, leave the skill, the working skill and maybe, uh, values to the parents and grandparents. Well, I don't, I don't see, I see the classroom as something to be avoided if, if possible. Uh, kids don't learn well sitting still. And there are some things, like if you're going to learn computer programming, right, you're going to be sitting down. I mean, that's just, there's no way to get around that. So some things, yeah, you got to sit down and, and learn it. But uh, if there's any way to learn something in real life instead of in a classroom, then that's ideal. For example, I was teaching my kid math but we weren't sitting down with a pencil and paper. We were actually measuring wood and we were saying, okay, I've got, I've got to fill this panel space. You know, it's, it's three feet across and all of my pieces of wood are eight inches wide. How many do I need? You know? And so that's how we did math. And we were scratching it out on a piece of wood and, and then measuring in real life and talking about fractions of inches and feet and everything. And um, if possible, whenever possible, it would be great if we could do uh, education in a real life setting like that. It's not always possible. Sometimes you just have to sit down and say, okay, we're going to talk about the orbits of the planets. Um, you can you can only uh, look at lights in the sky with a telescope so long before you have to sit down with some paper and draw out some orbit orbital patterns to help explain things. And, and that's just the way it is. But if we can, do something real and, and in real life we should. Yeah, I guess that there's a point of making a uh, planet mobile. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and, and that's more, it, it's good because, you know, a lot of times when, when you hear when we were in school, it's like, why do I need math? And when you do things like uh, w work on a project, while teaching math and they wouldn't be asking that question. Yeah. And it's, there's certain things that are, you wouldn't, you would be surprised at how important it is. So for example, if you don't, if you're not paying attention to physics and astronomy and later on in life, you're going to come across some flat earth, uh, descriptions that sound pretty darn good. If you don't dig too deep, it sounds pretty good. It's like, well, geez, that kind of makes sense. But if you, I mean, and I don't blame people for not being uh, trusted in what they're told, but if you know enough um, astronomy and you know how to use a sextant and you've traveled the world a little bit, you don't need to trust other people. You can prove it to yourself. You can calculate, uh, you know, is is the sun changing angle faster overhead than it is if, if it's close to the horizon? I mean, if we were on a flat earth, the degrees of angle from your perspective would be much slower when the sun's farther from you going over the horizon. But if we're on a round earth, the degree change is going to be consistent throughout the whole day, which it is. And so learning things as a, as a small child, 
it, it, you might think, well, that's not that important. They're not going to go into space. We don't need to teach them that. But sometime they're going to come across some a perspective that says, hey, you know, airplanes, if the earth was round, they'd be flying out into space because they, they fly in a straight line. So um, the earth must be flat. Well, if you don't look too deeply into that, it sounds pretty good. And if you haven't, you don't have an underlying education to learn how to prove these things to yourself with your own tools, then you're going to fall prey to uh, misinformation because I don't blame people for thinking that the truth is being hidden from them. I think it's hidden from us all the time, but uh, one of the best ways to hide the truth is to float false truths. And it, uh, you know, something I say a lot is it's a, it's a slippery slope to climb up to the straight and narrow path of truth. But if you go just a little bit too far, there's another slippery slope down the other side that leads to la-la land, you know? Mm -hmm. And so um, education can have, it can be required in surprising ways, uh, just getting the basics of, of certain things about our reality. And uh, it's, it's important that those happen in a way that are engaging. I remember in public school, there was, they, they attempted to teach me some pretty important things, but I was always staring out the window. I was never very engaged in school at all. Why was that? Was it boring or why? It was boring. I found it very boring. And I, I didn't, for whatever reason, I didn't find any meaning in it. So if, if the teacher told me I was going to fail if I didn't do a certain test or whatever, I did not care at all. And I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, and I was uh, when I was in school. It's more of I I I love talking too much, um, and I don't know. I've had uh, teachers telling my parents that you know she's so smart, and it's, if she could just sit down and learn stuff, and and you know it really is. I don't know. I couldn't. You know, I'm probably not as bad as you are. Just, you know, I, I get worried when if somebody told me you're going <laughs> to flunk because <laughs> it's very it's, we have lots of pressure in, in Asia to to perform well in school. And and so that, you know, it wasn't until I came to the state, I feel like, oh, this could be something fun to learn. Because, you know, the teachers are so, because we, we probably learn other than English or, you know, things that depend on language a lot. We probably already learned it. Uh, and so, you know, when I'm in math class, it would be more like I'm learning the English part of the math. Okay. And so so the teachers are like, oh, you got this done. You can go play game because it happened that my computer teachers are it is was was my uh, math teacher <laughs> so he's like oh you're done done with your homework go go play a computer and it's it's a word heavy game so it, well you know well homeschoolers you know on average do better in most uh, areas of education than than kids in public school but uh, I think we need to run with that and say, okay, not only it, it's not just an aberration that some people are lucky to be homeschooled, we need to, to, that needs to be the way it is. And public school is actually kind of a form of like public welfare. It should be avoided at all costs. And if, if no one can, if, if you have a single parent who can't raise, who can't, you know, educate their child, then hopefully we could organize community school schools through churches or, or whatever to do that. And at the very, the very, you know, last resort should be some kind of public education. That's that I think should probably be there as a last resort, as long, as long as we realize that and not, it's not, you know, a place to, to, it's not a babysitting place where you just get rid of your kid because you don't, you know, you don't like them. And I think, um, I, I see a lot of people these days as just a relief to get rid of their kid for the day. And when the kid comes home, they're like, oh my gosh, you know, and if they feel like it's a big chore because that's, that's our culture now. And, and we weren't raised with gaggles of kids all over 
you know, all the time we, we, we were growing up. But if you go to other cultures in the world, um, we call them third world countries, but the, the, they rate higher on the happiness scale. And uh, you go to like some village somewhere and, you know, women are pregnant everywhere and there's babies everywhere and kids everywhere. And that's a lot more natural way to grow up without, because they're, the, it's also, it's like the, the children are the, the goal and the purpose and the, the point of life is to pass on everything you have to the kids. Whereas in our Western cultures, we have this idea that, you know, uh, success doesn't, when people talk about success, usually it has nothing to do with children. And so, uh, we say, okay, well, you know, women have, uh, you know, there's a pay gap or whatever, and they're not paid as much as men. And I, and I have, every time I hear that, I'm thinking, well, you know what, in a, in a, in a culture that values children over money, women have the advantage because they, I mean, they have the closest bond with the children and in a society that values money over children, men have the advantage because, you know, they have a, a greater percentage of their, their physical resources are devoted to strength and stamina. And that's what, what we are. That's what, that's where we sit now with our current society is that children are not our primary goal. And our primary goal is this fiction that we are fed through this cultural engineering that has been done to all of us since birth, since all, you know, all of us alive today have probably, uh, had a lot of exposure to movie TV and media and cultural engineering to the point where we now accept to a large degree, this reality of what our culture is. And it's not good for us. It doesn't make us happy. It, we're less happy because of it. Yeah. And um, the other thing I notice about homeschool uh, children, they, they are, um, are there, other than the fact that they can apply their knowledge, uh, you know, like, how do I say that? When you're doing something that's seemingly and un, un, totally unrelated, you can apply knowledge. It's like they're really flexible. However, yes, they, whatever yeah. they need, they use it for to to solve the problem. Yeah, there's and, more resilience if they're if they're learning in a more varied way then they're going to be able to solve more varied problems. Right. And they also are, I think uh, they're also more mature, just at least in the, you know, I, I can, uh, I can take care of things. How do I say that? Uh, if there are things I can take care of, I can do it. And I will do it, kind of thing. Like you don't have to tell them, "Oh, you you go do your homework now, or else," kind of thing. Yes, in in the classroom, it's it's always a classroom environment, so all of the problems are theoretical and hypothetical. Mm. Uh, if you're learning in reality, it's going to be common to encounter real problems. If you're out. Uh, working the land with your dad and you're fixing a fence, that's a real problem. That fence is a real problem and it's, and failing to fix it right is going to have real consequences. And that would apply to any craft or trade or activity that humans engage in. The reality is always going to be different than the, the fictional version of it that you'll find in a classroom. So whenever possible, we should expose kids to the reality. And that's not always possible, but if, if we can, that's, that's the preferred way to learn. You'll learn far more from reality than you will from a fictional environment where you're talking about theoretical animals and theoretical vegetables, you know, <laughs> theoretical vegetable. <laughs> um, so, uh, and I was looking, I, I was thinking back on, on um, the, maturity issue for myself and I see a lot of it came from not having confidence uh you know because all throughout my my schooling in in my home country I I was a horrible student so I just assume I'm stupid you know and then um it, it took 
you know, after I came to the States, I figured out I'm not stupid. But I think that has a lot to do with not feeling. It's a big part of being immature. So when kids are in the homeschooling situation, they do things and they see results, and they know they can be、uh, responsible for their own life. Or whatever, whichever they can do, they they will do it. And if they need help, they know there are people to help them. And I think the confidence part is very important as part of the maturity, as in being able to、uh, have to to have children early, to get married, to be responsible for each other and each other's family. So、yeah, that that makes a lot of sense.、Um, there's going to be a huge difference in confidence if you、uh, read a story about,、uh, you know, let's say you, you you're reading a story about farming and raising food, and then that theoretically you could eat the food, or you're on a farm, you're raising pigs and turkeys and chickens and and collecting eggs, and then you walk in and you break the eggs into a pan and make breakfast and eat.、Um, your confidence level about Providing for yourself is going to be way different than a child in a classroom who read a story about that. Yeah, I had to. I remember I had to.、Um, I had to when I was in college. You know, the internship. I I purposely went to the furthest place I could get, just so I can. I know, I can. I can.、Uh, You know, feed myself and get to work and come home and and not die. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and survive. I can survive on my own, which is kind of not very typical for my age、uh, as an Asian Asian uh, student. Uh, most people in my situation, like their family, are not. You know, they they really. Are overly protective. Yeah, and and no、that. one wants to put their kid in in danger. And we're always gonna be、uh, sort of fighting on one side. I want to be a hundred percent safe, and yet I also want to prepare my child for real danger when they find it as an adult. So we have to balance that. But、uh, the earlier, you know, the more you can expose your kid to、uh, from an early age, the more they're going to be mature when. It comes time to make babies, you know. Yeah, and and so, huh? I I guess just because I know how immature I was, it, it's just hard for me to imagine、uh, being ready to have a family. Yeah, and I don't think I was. I mean, I I got married、uh, at the age of twenty six, and I was pretty. I was very immature, and it's not. Uh, it's it's like I was saying earlier. It's not enough to say, "Oh, just start a family young." the The solution is societal. It's it has to. We have to change our whole culture to produce children that are mature and ready.、Uh, at from the you know eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty one, twenty two to start a family right around at, at that time. And it's not going to happen overnight. We can't just suddenly just decide to do it, and then it's going to happen. It's it's got to be a goal that we strive for, and we're we probably won't see the fruition of it in our lifetime. We but we have to start、uh, recognizing that's where that's where we have to go because、uh, we we are in a, a state of disarray、uh, to the point our culture. Is no longer functional. We are now existing on a culture that was engineered for us by people who consider us to be their property, their chattel, and we are we are engineered to be sort of like worker bees that do a single、uh, a single function for the central economy and then get all of our needs from the central economy, which in itself isn't evil, except for the central economy is is sort of like a monopoly game controlled by these. Farmer types that consider us the the cattle on the farm. Yeah,、uh, and and I I hmm. Did you have a point? I mean, 
judging from how you were in school, I guess you always noticed that, or did you have like a point where you figure out this is what was happening or what is happening? I think it gradually dawned on me over over uh, my life. I think I recognized. Even as a kid, I thought the teachers were stupid. I thought they were dumb because it, it, it seemed to me the stuff they were teaching was nonsensical and pointless. And in some cases, the, I mean, there were, there were some good teachers who were really trying to help. And I was sort of kind of cocky and arrogant. And I, to some degree, that pointed me in the right direction because... Uh, pub, I don't. I don't think public schools are the right direction for humanity. And, and but then, as I got older and, and and took a more mature view of it, it's like, okay, well, yeah, that might not be the right direction. And for us to actually develop our own right direction is no small task at all. Self governance is uh, a task not all humans are up to, and and self governance means we have to you know, determine our own destiny and, and decide what we are going to educate our children to grow up as, because they're going to be the future. And whoever's educating our children owns the future and letting uh, the governing body that rules us educate our children is a horrible conflict of interest. It's, it's an egregious conflict of interest. So severe that um, it's, it, it seems to me like blatantly obvious. And yet humans are so uh, good at ignoring the obvious if the whole herd is also ignoring the obvious. And then it becomes this self-perpetuating uh, ignorance that we all engage in and feel comfortable with because everyone else is doing. Uh, all the while, this cloud of ignorance is actively being programmed by someone a little bit smarter. Yeah, and I noticed that, um, and I don't, yeah, I think I see that here too. Um, parents, uh, when kids don't do well, I mean, you see that sometimes in support, sports too. When they don't do well, they, they blame the teacher or coach. It, it It's like, you know, you have my children all day. Why aren't they better? Yeah, and, and I've, I've seen that a lot where, you know, especially you have only child syndrome where you have this only child and this child is the parent's darling and that the child can do no wrong. And so then if, if there's anything, anything goes wrong with school, they, they start pestering the teacher to make it right. And if, if the child isn't performing, the parents are going to blame the teacher. And, and that is a result of parents who were not taught to be parents. So they grew up in probably in a similar fashion. And that is a, another example of something that has to be changed over generations through our culture, because uh, being a parent has the highest education requirement of any, of any occupation that humans engage in. And it's easy to do it horribly. It's, it's really easy to, I mean, I mean, if you look at your child and they have these big, beautiful eyes and they want something, it's so easy just to give them everything they want. And in the short term, like just today, it's going to make them happy. But in the long term, over their lifetime, it's going to destroy them. There's an old term we say, spoiled children. The, ch the child is spoiled. Well, the word spoiled oh. doesn't, doesn't mean brat. It doesn't mean ornery. It means ruined. It means you've ruined them. They've gone rotten. Mm. And, they're, and it's not going to, you know, when you've got food that gets spoiled in the refrigerator, you don't fix it after that. <laughs> it's done. <laughs> so spoiled is um, a very severe uh, situation. And so now we say, oh, yeah, it's a spoiled kid. I know he's spoiled, blah, blah, blah. No, no. Spoiled means ruined. And that's a horrible thing to do to a human, to start out when they're um, so resilient and malleable in their, in their toddlerhood and spoil them for life. Because what you do then echoes through not just to their future, but to their kids. Because as a spoiled human, they're going to they're gonna raise spoiled children. And it's like uh, dropping a pebble in a pond and the ripples are going to go forward through time and through the generations to cause the, uh, an un incalculable amount of harm from 
a spoiled child. And so we don't see that. We don't, that's not part of our culture to consider that a, a travesty. But once upon a time, it was a travesty. It was a horror to see a child being spoiled because you knew you could look, you see a child like that and you say, okay, well, this child is throwing a tantrum. Uh, the parent gives them what they want to shut them up. And all the parent sees is, oh, I shut the kid up. Now he's quiet. But with yeah. just a little more vision, you're seeing, oh, you're creating a, you're creating a lifetime of horror for this child and, and probably everyone who knows the child. Well, this, this reminds me of the when I first start to, I don't know if it's still that way, but when uh, a while back and uh, I was already out of school. And so I hear, uh, you know, sports team. Uh, I don't know if it's for older kids, but younger kids, everybody gets a trophy. And I'm kind of like, what? <laughs> How does that make sense? That means you don't have to work hard to to uh, receive rewards. And that reminds me of some other kind of system. Yeah, <laughs> you know when everybody's I mean? special, nobody is. <laughs> right. And then and then the, the thing is, when you do that, you seem to create, I mean, the, the kids that worked hard are like, why? Why do I work hard? And the kids who who don't, they're like, yeah, oh, it's also the same. Why should I work hard? Yeah, you know? and I got a so, trophy no matter what. Yeah, so that that doesn't make sense. And and also, there's always kids that work hard and still don't have any reward. Then maybe maybe uh, consider that this may you may love it, but you're not good at it. Maybe you know, uh, give them the experience of knowing that, oh, this is not, I, I, I don't have the talent for this. Let me look for something else. Yeah. The, the psychology of children is not a mystery to us. We, we, as a human race have access to that. We know that if a child is exposed to too much failure too early, it will affect them for life. And so that the, the ideal way to prepare a child for success is to give them challenges that they can handle and and handle successfully so that they have successive uh, victories over over time. And as as they get more and more victories, they gain more and more confidence and they can handle bigger and bigger problems. And if you just do that through their toddlerhood, and that's it, if that's all you did is, is just do that through their toddlerhood, it would it would craft their mind into a problem solving machine and they would have confidence for the rest of their life. And even dog trainers know that, but we as humans don't practice that with our own children because we were never educated in that. We have zero education for the most part in raising kids. And, and so until we can build a culture where part of growing up as a child, you're being prepared from childhood to also be a parent. So, if you're if you're nine years old, then you're you're saying, okay, go teach the the seven year old how to cut carrots, you know, you know. If you're twelve, well, go teach the ten year old how to shoot a rabbit and cook it, you know. So, and and, and the same with with as soon as a girl is uh, or a boy is old enough to carry a baby, let him carry a baby around and 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 participate in taking care of it, so that when it it comes their turn and and a, and they get their own baby. It's not the first time they've held a baby and it's not, it's not the first time they've changed a diaper because you, you run into that, like where people like, oh my gosh, I've got a baby now. And they're Googling the most basic things of how to take care of their baby. Like it's a exotic animal that no one owns, you know? Yeah, I, I, oh, <laughs> I am so scared of, you know, especially uh, new babies because I'm so afraid I'll pick them up and, and break their neck. Yeah, um, <laughs> if you if you had been handling newborns since you were old enough to do it, um, it would be a lot less of a of an issue. It would be more innate knowledge. Uh, and when I I was born into a polygamous 
commune where I lived till I was about six years old. And in that group, there was lots and lots of babies everywhere. And so it, 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 it's part of my uh, upbringing that holding babies from the time I was old enough to hold a baby was, was normal. But uh, these days, it's not part of our culture. You know, if you go, th- if you start, if you start in public school from kindergarten and go all the way through to four years of college, at what point in there were you taught how to hold a baby and change a diaper? It, never, you know, never. Yeah, I, I, when I was little, I have, co- I have a bunch of cousins. So, but the thing is, my brother is so good at taking care of them. I never touch a diaper in my life. <laughs> <laughs> And I like, you know, I, I'm, I'm okay talking with kids that, you know, I either I'm good with kids that doesn't like, can't really communicate other than I can't pick them up. I can play with them, but the, the, the kids in the middle is hard. I I need someone who's old enough that I can talk to, like, (laughs) cause I treat them like, like adults. Like I talk to them seriously. I don't talk to them like they're little kid. Yeah. And that's, so, that's actually a good way to treat children because that, that's how they become adults is being talked to like an adult. Yeah. And they don't like being treated like kids anyway. I mean, they, if you do that, they, they will not be able to express themselves. You know, like you know, Asian kids are usually looked down yeah, kids will want to, they will want the things that uh, will result in, in some cases, they will want the things that will result in them growing and maturing, just like a, a kid in a classroom will look out the window <laughs> and want to go <laughs> outside. <laughs> well, and, and so I understand that, that it cannot change quickly, but maybe their parents uh they are realizing this now what what can they do well uh start homeschooling and start um collaborating with other parents to homeschool change the way you live so that one parent cannot can stop working and if you're a single parent which there's many then the best probably the best you can do is to start collaborating with other parents to develop homeschooling opportunities and I think since COVID hit, the homeschooling is off the charts. It's it's increased more over the past two years than any time in history. It's just like doubled and doubled again. And so it everyone's doing it. And we all see the reason for it because here this uh, institution for education, they're supposed to be the smart ones that are, that, that are educated. They're supposed to be educators. And here they are shooting themselves up and wearing masks and and displaying a herd mentality and and you know it's sort of a wake up call for, for lots of people to say hey this these are not educators <laughs> they're programmers <laughs> so so uh, not being a parent so how does one start learning how to homeschool i mean i mean it is horrifying if i just think about it, it means i have i have to know what I'm teaching them first. <laughs> yeah, and it's a big responsibility to start all of a sudden. So you can you can get involved with some homeschool groups and there's more resources for it that are free, free than ever before. You can find entire courses online for free. And there's even college courses. There's places like MIT that that have tons of free courses. And starting from kindergarten all the way up through college, it's you can you could do it all for free and never pay anything but there's there's still plenty of courses if you're willing to pay a little money you can get more more organized course material that are all sort of laid out for you and all you have to do is you know put the kid uh, put the lessons in front of a kid and make sure they do it um, but it's it's going to be way easier if you can collaborate with some other parents that are already doing it because uh there's going to be some obvious lessons that will take you a while to learn. Whereas if you have other parents to collaborate with, it's going to go really well. For example, if you want to do like a field trip kind of event, like, Hey, we're getting the parents together. We're going to go tour this, uh, uh, 
hydroelectric dam and or we're going to tour a factory or we're going to you know we're going to go uh, fishing or something and uh, you can get together and do a lot of great things with existing uh, homeschooler families yeah like people who who have worked uh, wood working shop can offer uh, everybody to come and try yeah and and so we it would be great for uh, to do apprentice style learning so uh, to learn woodworking uh, learn welding plumbing electrical you know uh, I've never hired a plumber to come work on my house most of my life I could never afford it but I grew up you know building houses when someone was building a house I would just so they I, I remember like I was maybe seven and I was up on a roof pounding nails and wow. so when it when it comes time to do plumbing in my house, I just, I just get the pipes and it, it seems like it seems silly to me that someone would pay hundreds per hour for someone to come glue pipes together um, because they, they never learned how to do it. Same with electrical. I've done, uh, you know, I do all the electrical in, in my house and there's lots of guys that would do that, but there's lots that just don't. And that knowledge isn't that hard to come by. Uh, and, and by the, by the time a kid is in in high school range, they can know all that. That's not hard, you know. Uh, there's there's always more to learn if you were going to do it professionally and do it up to code. You know, there's probably you'd want to go further in your education. But just just being able to do all your own work in your home is is not that big a deal. Yeah, I, I my my. Um brother and uncles and dad they, they're like fix it themselves type so but unfortunately i i just i have no inclination <laughs> mostly because i i can't handle the the dust and stuff i can't handle <laughs> so i guess i'm spoiled well, in in any family or community, no one has to be an expert in it, in everything, nor nor should they be. So uh, everyone's got to have have their interest. And you know, you, you take it. Maybe there's a child who doesn't have in, interest in anything, but but maybe they like music, and it turns out that they become a composer. And and it, usually we don't say, "Well, I'm going to raise my child up to be a composer," but they, that's what they end up being. And that's valuable for society. Mm -hmm. And so everyone's going to have their specialty in it. And it should be, or hopefully has to do with what they enjoy because that's what they're going to be best at. Yeah, I know. Wouldn't it be nice that, that people no longer says I hate my job. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, If if we could uh, get, if we could develop society, you know, long ago, a much higher percentage of people were, were self-employed. Uh, and now everyone's employed sort of like a robot. And I think part of, de- you know, decentrali- decentralizing our toxic economy is is to get back to that model of being self-employed so that uh, as when we deal with other businesses, we're dealing with a human, not like a profit machine that has lost all morality. But if we can educate children to uh, grow up and do these little specialized businesses and trade. And, and then the other side of that is we need to train our, ourselves to patronize these businesses so that a business that is too large would fail because once they get too large, everyone recognizes that they're no longer moral or human or ethical. And now that the, the odds of them retaining a, a civilized moral conduct are are slim, and so that we should all and, and we should always favor a smaller and local, a more local business, to the point where uh, a, a business will stay small in order to survive because they know if they get too big, everyone will abandon them for good reason. Yeah, but I have an example of. Um, so I, I was working at a, I was interning at a huge company, and it really felt like many tiny like each each department or or division it feels like they're little companies in the huge company so everybody helps each other out there's no like 
oh, we need more funding, so I'm not going to help you kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So large company, and then it changed later, but large company uh, feeling like a small, like many small companies are possible. Yeah, and, and that you, can happen, but uh, just like a large company um, can operate like that, multiple small companies can achieve some of the same uh, benefits that large companies have. Uh, so, you know, when I used to deliver, uh, there was a time I was delivering specialty oil all over the Puget Sound area, and I'd got to a lot of Boeing facilities. And I discovered that uh, Boeing is actually made up, there's a lot of small companies that that cater to Boeing that people don't know about. I would go out in the middle of nowhere in some neighborhood and some guy in his garage, and he's got a little machining operation going in his garage, and he's making one part for Boeing. And I would show up there with my truck and, and deliver him a, a 55-gallon drum of machining oil. And here he's got this shop and his, in behind his house. He's got three or four employees, and they're making aluminum parts. Uh, and it's just one little piece or a few little pieces, and they ship them off to Boeing. And there was lots of those. And so it's not – usually you would consider that a, a company like Boeing has to be one big company, but that's not necessarily the case. You could operate – large corporations as a conglomeration of lots of small ones. And, and it, it would, it would be similar to what you just described. Right. So, so the, the actual point is pay attention to, to um, not only support local business. If you do have to work in a large company, you, you, you make sure it feel how it feels, Just make sure to check out that, what kind of environment it is yeah and trying to keep the the, try to keep the human factor wherever possible because there are some things if you're going to put rockets in space you're probably going to have to have a big a big corporation for that i I don't see a way around that so it's in some cases it's just going to have to be but um, wherever possible especially where things that are essential like food production one you should be producing some on your own at least the bare necessities and and if not and then what you can't produce on your own you should buy locally and the only things that you should buy from a distance are sort of um just specialty items that you don't re- need in order to survive that you just like them like for example in Idaho it, it would be tough to grow oranges here or avocados and but i could i could live without those i don't mind uh buying those from a distance because if something happened and I couldn't get those anymore, it wouldn't uh, threaten my life. Right. So, but but right now, much well, of humanity is depending on grain, which is produced by huge transnational corporations, and it could be shut off by them any time. Mm-hmm. And so, what the the going back to small businesses. Um, the the thing about the uh, companies that makes parts for Boeing, uh, the it it I assume that if if there's no orders for new plan, then they get in trouble. So I, I see. Yes, that. there is that. And I I asked them about that, and yeah, uh, their their machine shop isn't. Uh, it, it's not. That's not its only ability, and so I I I I talked to them over time, and they had other things they could do. So, uh, let's say they were making one part for one airplane. It was fairly predictable that uh, this part, because it was like a maintenance item. So, you have X number of 737s in the air, and the certain part has to be replaced every so many miles. It's quite predictable that 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 part is going to uh, continue to be needed, and so it, and then if if it was going to get phased out over time, it was easy to see that coming and to start doing other things. But a machine shop that's all set up to make a certain part, it's not that hard for them to to alter their tooling a little bit to be able to do different things. But um, it, it yeah, still I, worked. I, it was a good business. I I um see a lot of those in because there's uh in some Asian country the small business like is they are the key of the economy, and um for example in Japan there's they have a lot of precision uh machine shop, and they 
you know, when the usually when the generation, the older generation, it, they don't. I don't know. It's just because they don't know how to use computer or something. Most of them don't uh, update themselves. So it took the the second or third generation to come and say, "Why don't we do something else with our skills?" And so they would make other things,、uh, other, you know, produce their own useful、uh, product that goes straight to consumer. Or、um, one that I don't,、uh, I think it's good, but I don't like as much is that they would use like their their、uh, machine skill to make pretty things like jewelry or something. Which、uh, jewelry makes no sense to me because I'm super practical. But you know, but that's one way. What I was saying is, that you if you have the skill, you make. It's helpful to be to see what else you can do with it, not just to supply. A, yes, a so there's a lot of crafting ability still left over in America, and to a large degree, that's become a hobby where we make knickknacks that are not needed. And I would like to see that develop back into making actual useful items. You know,、um, one thing I haven't got into, but I I have this.、Uh, Clay in my backyard that I think I could make clay pottery out of, and I wanted to get into making my own pottery, and and so I could have dishes from made by me instead of、uh, dishes that were imported from some slave nation where they were probably made by slaves. And、uh, the same goes for wood crafting. I don't want to make、uh, something that hangs on a wall and looks pretty. I want to make actual furniture.、Um, so I think if if people value That they can start、uh, growing their crafting hobby from a hobby to an actual、uh, livelihood and and make useful things. You know everything from sewing to woodworking, metalworking,、um, and there's nothing wrong with art. It's just that we need to expand beyond art and make useful things that we require for life. Yeah, I I'm I'm so not one for art. I mean, I I enjoy it. I'm not saying you we don't need artists. It's just not. It, it's hard for me to to buy something just to look at, <laughs> and and I know it's it's weird because it, a lot of people enjoy. Like I have friends and and you know family who who really gets a lot of joy out of. Looking at a painting or or looking at sculpture. Yeah, so, well, there was once a time when if you were looking at a painting, it was the only one in the world. And now, it, because of because a painting can be replicated infinitely, we've all seen gazillions of them. So that it changes the value, at least for me. You know, I, I, if someone、mm. wants to look at original, that's fine. But certainly,、uh, wall hangings. Are have become so ubiquitous and cheap that that they all have lost some of their value. You know, it used to be if if you if there was a wall hanging, it was made lovingly by probably a member of your family. Now it's probably imported from China. Yeah, like I I um I really like quilt because you not only I mean. Not only you can use it as a covering, you could, if you really want to, you can make it into art.、It's、yeah, and quilts are great. My mom has quilted all my life. I have, I remember、uh, she made a quilt in the backyard when I was about ten, and it's still on my bed. <laughs> wow! And and there's and every every bed in my house has my mom's quilts on it, and they're like on the couch. Everyone in our family has quilts for my mom, and they're they're really beautiful. They're very durable. They last forever, and and it's it's a really valuable skill. And it's very they're they're very artistic too. They're not just. I know some you know, of them. Some of them are like you know a scenery. If you yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, oh my god. People really get into quilting, and and my mom is one of those people, and I'm fortunate to have that. Yeah, I I don't know. I only know it from you know、uh, 
TV programming teaching how to quilt, and so I really don't understand. Um, I, I do. Is it more durable because it's it's handmade and? Well, you, you start know, off with much better better uh, stock. You know the fabrics you're using. If you're going to spend hours on a quilt, you're not going to use some flimsy fabric that's going to uh, fray to nothing over a, a period of one year. So you you start off with very high quality fabric, and you're using high quality thread, and it they just hold together. Oh, and is there any? Uh, I, I never really had a quilt, so is there any kind of feel, feeling filler in it? What? Yeah, it has like it? a. It's called batting, and you get this roll of. Uh, it's just like polyester padding, like it looks like cotton, but it's made out of polyester wow. and it's sort of in a sheet. And so what you do is you lay down one, one layer of fabric and then you lay down the layer of filler and then you lay down the top layer, which is usually the most ornate layer and you sew it all together. Oh, okay. Like, like what you see, the, the, the little button on the sofa, like. That's yeah, sometimes you... they're done that way, uh, and sometimes the uh, one common way to do it is one is you when when you sew it all together, you sew lines that follow the pattern of the quilt, so that the oh. back is attached to the front. You know. Yeah, I think if I were to make them, it's gonna be all square. <laughs> square or rectangle something easy <laughs> yeah if you're gonna do it start start easy um if you enjoy it it's i think we have humans have uh certain things in our our genetic programming that makes crafting fun just like you have uh just like fishing and hunting is is fun it's like that that genetic programming that hey we should engage in this because that's what's needed for survival. And so even though we don't need that for survival anymore, it's still there. And, uh, you know, I, I don't hunt, but um, I, I know a lot of guys who do and they really like it. Yeah, I think it's something, I mean, uh, not, how do I say this? I noticed that if you are used to making things with your hands, like I, I do things I do a lot of things with paper and uh, it, it, when you stop, you miss it. You, you know, one, one day you're like, why am I so unhappy? You're like, Oh, because I haven't done any craft uh, paper craft. So, you know, it, it's important to find fun things to do. And I think having a, uh, it, it helps a lot for kids who grew up in homeschooled because they, they a lot of time need to figure out what they want to learn. Yeah. And we all need to develop our crafting skill to the point where we're starting to meet all of our needs. You know, everything from shoes to vehicles to uh, energy, off-grid energy, um, robotics and automation and greenhouses and food and, and everything. And we need to get to the point where we're, we're developing all these crafts and ability to create things so that we can reduce and eliminate our dependence on the central economy, which is like this giant pump and dump scheme. That's, that's, I mean, we all know it's a, it's sort of like a slave mechanism. Yeah. It, it, and well, just from hearing that I'm kind of, uh stressed out though <laughs> i know you always say take little steps but you know i can i'm a very simple person i can only handle you know so much information and uh, so it, it's, it's a little scary yeah, well, do what you can with what you have and only worry about the decisions that are before you and if something's outside of your ability to control or decide on don't worry about it because worrying about it won't help <laughs> yeah easy for you to say <laughs> well I, it's not that easy can't. i mean it, it, it is easy for me to say but it's not any easier for me than probably it is for anyone else it's it's so easy to look it, it, at 
our current situation with the world and the politics and the control and say, oh my gosh, the odds of us succeeding seem like almost zero, but what can we do? Give up? Uh, that's really the only way we can fail is if we give up. Yeah. So the, the thing I do just so I don't go crazy is, is like, I have to keep telling myself, just do what you, what you can right now, just do what needs to be done right now and, and see maybe that would take you somewhere, you yep. know, it, I don't know. It, it, I think there's something in the air that's making me more depressed than I should be. <laughs> well, <laughs> get some get 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 some vitamin D. I know you're in, in. You have a lot of clouds where you are. Go go to a tanning booth and get some UV rays. Keep your vitamin we, D levels up. It has been sunny though. Interestingly. Well, it, it uh, at this time of year, even if it's sunny, at the latitude that you're at. Uh, because the the angle of the sun going through the atmosphere, you're not going to get much of the UV rays, even if it's sunny and it's so cold. Yeah, you're know. probably going to be all dressed up anyway. So, I, I take I do take vitamin D every day. So, uh, I just need to get. Uh, it, it's never mind. It's my problem. I gotta fix it. <laughs> yeah, we all have that. We're, I mean, it's it's the society oh. we live in. There, you know, the, if we lived in a, a happy village in one of these third world countries where the the level of happiness is measurably higher, maybe we wouldn't have the problem. But here we are. <laughs> well, I mean, it, in in that sense, it, it's almost like not knowing is better. You know, if that, of course, because you don't live in a village, that's probably not possible. You have to kind of know what's going wrong around you. <laughs> <laughs> yep, unfortunately. But you know, ignorance is bliss, I guess. But I guess I'll have to. I would, I would rather know the truth and deal with it. <laughs> well, and and I because I went through something uh, a while back it, that that I noticed that to not have any kind of sound, you know, maybe just from outside people working, that's okay, but not sound that I make happen like radio or TV or even music. It, it was so bad that I couldn't have any kind of sound. Hmm. And so that's when I stopped watching TV or listening to the, you know, radio program. And, and, and I noticed how I felt better, <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause there I'm, I am only, dealing with my own stuff. I don't have to hear yeah, about things I can't do anything with. It'll make you feel better. I, I notice, you know, some people talking about, I hear people talking about uh, so-and-so said, you know, this really stupid thing on CNN. I'm like, what? CNN? People still watch that? Why are you still watching that? <laughs> <laughs> I stopped watching it a long time ago just because they play the same thing over and over. I'm like, why? <laughs> Yeah. Why am I watching this? <laughs> I didn't realize it's probably brainwashing. <laughs> we all do now. I mean, when I was a kid, people said that about the news, but we all still watched it. <laughs> really? I didn't. Oh, really? That's what they said? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I remember being told as a kid, oh, it's it's all crap. And I didn't understand as a kid what they were saying because they would say, oh, it's everything I tell you is not true. And I would say, but wait a minute, I just watched this news report and there was a tornado and there, and there really was a tornado. And so I didn't did understand you know? what they were getting at. They were, uh, what they, what they were talking about and they should have explained it more thoroughly is, is sort of like the political social programming they do, not just saying everything they say is false because that's not true. They say things that are true all the time when they report on earthquakes and they report on the weather and they report on things that happen, but if it comes to social engineering issues, they're they're probably twisting it. Not probably, they're definitely twisting it. And that's what think, we need to I understand. They they make sure to egg people on. Yeah, and if you look. wanted, if you want to uh, promote global warming, then you sensationalize, you know, some record temperatures. Or if you want to promote global cooling, you show scenes of. Uh, you know, a tundra and blowing snow and, and extreme cold. 
And so in both of those cases, you're telling the truth, but since you're not telling, you're telling the selective truth. So you're, you're effectively lying through omission of other facts. Mm. So I think that's going to be what we're going to talk about next time. <laughs> okay. Sounds good to me. Okay. Well, we'll check next week. Okay. And thanks for having me on again. And uh, let's do it again next week. Oh, I, I forgot to uh, add that if anybody would like to suggest a topic or have any kind of comments, please, uh, you know, write in in um, the culture chat group on uh, Will's channel. Yeah, um, and if you have any anything you want me to, want us to talk about, for sure, put it there. Um, I'll tr I'll try and throw a list of all my channels up. My main channel is William Wallace Welker on Telegram, and then I have uh, about a half a dozen other chat groups that are organized by topic. And so I'll throw all those topics up on the main channel so you can find the culture group because that's usually where these these chats end up. So you mean you're going to pin it so people can find it? Is that where you're? Saying? Yeah, it's already pinned, but I'll just I'll post oh. it again so it's um, okay. so it's right there in front of you when you. And I, you find I, I would. I always link it in the in the show notes, so look for the link there. Okay, so, awesome. Until okay, until next week. All right, take care. I thanks. Thank you. This has been Green Fossible. Thank you for listening. Your host, I signing off. <laughs>